Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Hillary. And this is the Probably Not Lupus podcast, where we discuss medical mysteries and entertain you with curious and uncommon case studies. These are based on mostly true stories collected from real people, history, journals, and fellow doctors. To protect privacy, names, dates, and locations may have been altered. Get ready for your medical mystery bolus. Probably Not Lupus is a show about our favorite medical mysteries. Nothing the hosts say should be taken for medical advice or opinion. We are not experts, nor are we journalists. It's just for fun. So enjoy. Patient Y is a 48-year-old man who presents to the emergency department after tripping backwards out of the bed of his pickup truck. He reports falling onto a log directly onto his groin. Although he denies any pain at rest, when he attempted to urinate after the fall, he experienced severe burning pain and noted a large amount of blood in his urine. He asked the emergency department physician if it's possible he could have broken his penis? Hello, welcome back. We made it to episode three. Episode three. We're going to keep counting. And Emma got a mic. So here we are. Welcome (laughs) back with new and improved quality. It's only going to get better. Yes. We're super excited to produce this episode today. Uh, We do have a little bit of an extra disclaimer to add. So this episode will contain some graphic descriptions of male genitalia. Listener discretion is advised. People with penises prepare to instinctively shield your crotch from harm while you're listening. And shockingly, there's no guest this week because nobody wanted to publicly speak about their broken penis. So weird. Yeah, can't believe it. Actually, this will become important as we talk more about the background and that a lot of broken penises go underreported because of the shame and embarrassment around talking about it. But we're going to talk about it anyways. Yes. Today, no shame, no embarrassment open and honest discussion about broken penises. And side note, although the vast majority of people who break a penis do also identify as male, that is not always the case. So we're going to try our best to use gender neutral terms for the remainder of this podcast. So what is it? Great question. Because even the most basic of anatomy knowledge would probably tell you that there is no bone in a boner. Haha, sorry, I couldn't help myself. (laughs) The penis does not contain any bones. What it does contain are three cylindrical columns that are covered by a tough fibrous white coat that are able to engorge with blood during an erection. And that's what maintains the stiffness and firmness of an erection. Now, hang on, because there's about to be a little bit of Latin ahead, as there tends to be anytime we're discussing anatomy and medicine. The three cylindrical columns are made up of two corpus cavernosa, which literally means cave-like body, and one corpus spongiosum. Now the corpus spongiosum contains the urethra or where people with a penis urinate from. And that spongy cylindrical column really acts to protect and shield the urethra. When we talk about a broken penis, what we're actually talking about is the rupture of that white coat, AKA the tunica albigenia. And that white coat 
that covers the cylindrical columns of blood that engorge during an erection is just a tough fibrous sheet. It's, you know, really thick fascia that if enough pressure or trauma is applied can rupture or break. And that's what we're talking about when we say a penis is broken. Now, another important anatomical point I should make is that when we're talking about the penis, the anatomical position that we base it off of is in the erect state. So when we're talking about anatomy in the human body, we always want to make sure that we're referring back to standard anatomical position. And you can sort of think of that, you know, Da Vinci drawing in your head of a person standing arms at their side, palms facing forward, you know, feet close together. That's our standard anatomical position. Now, if that person also happens to have a penis, the standard anatomical position to describe it is in the erect state. And the reason why that's interesting is because there is a ventral side of the penis and a dorsal side of the penis. And because standard anatomical position is erect, the ventral side ends up facing out or away from the body. And the dorsal side of the penis actually faces the body, like points towards the abdomen. And if we think back to the other Latin we've learned today, basically that means that the corpus cavernosa, the two columns that you know, engorge with blood, those are on the dorsal side. And then also the corpus spongiosum is on the ventral side. And those three cylinders, when completely filled with blood, are now what we call an erection. And I promise I'm not just trying to bore you with anatomical details that don't matter. I'm trying to describe the delicate nature of these structures, which I'm sure if you have a penis, you're like, yes, I understand, very delicate. But that also the erectile structures are very close to the genitourinary structures like the urethra and how a broken penis could potentially be so damaging. So let's talk about just how common it is. So about 10% of patients suffering injuries severe enough to require hospital admission actually also have injuries to the GU or genitourinary tract. And about 80% of these injuries result from blunt force trauma. So as you can probably assume, the most common mechanisms of injury include motor vehicle collisions, falls from heights, and direct blows to the torso or external genitalia. Right. And if we bring it back to the anatomy once more, if that direct blow is to the ventral side of the penis, then it's much more likely to damage that corpus spongiosum, which contains the urethra. Right. Which we'll see later results in more urinary symptoms Mm -hmm. rather than just pain as well. Mm -hmm. So penile fracture is often accompanied by an audible snap or cracking sound, followed by, as you can assume, severe pain, swelling, echimosis, Wait, can we explain to our listeners what ecchymosis is? Ecchymosis is just the medical term for bruising. Great. Thank you. And like Hillary said, the corpus spongiosum is involved in about 20 to 30% of cases and urethral injury occurs in 10 to 20%. So now I want to talk a little bit about a diagnosis that you might have heard of before called Pironi's disease. This is the medical term for a curved or bent penis. Oh, I have heard of this. And maybe our listeners have heard about this too. If you've listened to AM radio commercials. No, just me. (laughs) I do enjoy AM radio. Anyways, there are a lot of ads on AM radio that 
advertise a clinic that treats Peyronie's disorder. And I don't know what they do or how they claim to treat it, but I have heard these ads that say like, hey, we treat curved or bent penises, book in with us. Interesting. Um, I think that's only you, Hill. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. So about Peyronie's disease, it is a localized fibrotic disorder of that white coat or the tunica albiginea that Hillary spoke to us about earlier. Um, this thickening fibrotic tissue leads to penile deformities um, that include masses, pain, and in a lot of men, erectile dysfunction, as you can assume it all adds up. So now a little history lesson for you all. This disorder was named after the surgeon to King Louis XIV, Francois Guigaud de la Peronie, who in the 1700s first described Peroni's disease as rosary beads, because back then you make every reference to Catholicism. Uh, and every sex reference to King Louis too, apparently. There we go. These rosary beads were found on the dorsal side of the penis and they equated it to leading to ejaculatory failure. So although there is fibrosis, there's no actual rupture or tear, which we find in the broken penis, as we talked about. However, if you break your penis, then you're at a higher risk for fibrosis and then Pyrenees disease. So it all is tied together. Um, one thing leads to the next, and it's just a series of unfortunate events. Yes, still sounds very uncomfortable. Very. So after that excellent background information on broken penis, let's talk more about the case that we brought up at the beginning of the episode. So Mr. Y, who fell out of the back of his pickup truck, immediately onto his crotch, onto a log. What happened when he showed up at the emergency department? Immediately, the emergency physician and nurses checked the patient's vitals, which were found within normal limits. He didn't have any obvious hypotension or low blood pressure, indicating that he had lost a lot of blood. When they did a physical exam and they actually examined the genitalia, they did find blood at the tip of the penis and specifically where the urethra is. More importantly, there was a blood-soaked paper towel that the patient had stuffed in his underpants to protect his underpants from being covered in blood. Now, it was noted that there were no like external lacerations or scratches or abrasions indicating that that's where the blood was coming from. So the emergency physicians were thinking, oh, the blood is coming from the urethra, which is a much more serious injury. They also did an inspection of the scrotum and palpation of the testicles, which was unremarkable and did not show any damage. Hallelujah. I imagine a broken penis would only be made worse if you also had broken testicles. Ouch. A big ouch. Also, they did an abdominal exam and they found that there was no tenderness or pain on the abdominal exam or in the flank region, indicating that there might be damage to an internal organ like a kidney. The remainder of this patient's physical exam was completely unremarkable and no other abnormalities were found. So it was pretty obvious from the case that this was likely a penile fracture. They did run some labs. So a urine sample was collected at the bedside and it was noted to be the color of red wine indicating gross hematuria, which means there was enough blood that it was visible to the eye. They didn't even have to test for red blood cells. You could see the blood in the urine. 
to make sure that this patient didn't have a bleeding disorder, they did also run a coagulation study where they look at, you know, to see how many platelets you have and to see how well your blood clots. And that was fine. So it wasn't like this patient had a bleeding disorder or something else that was leading to the bleeding in the urethra. It again was most likely from the trauma. And another thing that they do is they take x-rays. Now you might be wondering, okay, well, you guys just told us that there's no bone in the penis. X-rays look at bones. What is an x-ray going to show? And well, if you can imagine the amount of trauma that goes into an injury like this. So for instance, Mr. Y fell out of the back of a pickup truck immediately onto a log. That's quite a blow. That's quite like, that's quite a bit of trauma. So we want to make sure there's no other fractures in the surrounding area, like in the pelvis. Because again, I can only imagine what makes a penis fracture worse, an associated pelvic fracture too. One last test was performed, and this was really due to the blood at the end of the urethra combined with the blood in the urine and the burning pain that the patient had experienced when he urinated. They did a test called a retrograde urethrogram. And basically what they do is they insert a catheter into the urethra and they inflate it just a little bit. And then they inject a solution of contrast dye. And then they take more x-rays. The idea being the contrast dye shows up very bright on the x-ray. And if that contrast dye has leaked outside of where the urethra is, that indicates to the doctors that there is damage to that urethra. And that it's not just the tunica albuginea that is damaged, but the urethra is also damaged which this patient did have urethral damage. That dye did leak out of the urethra. And so he was sent for surgery. And I think that's really important to note that comprehensive workup and all those tests being done for it, because we joke about like, oh, you have a broken penis. You're not going to be able to keep it up, et cetera. But there can be so much more extra damage, especially from these traumatic incidences um, that can affect the kidneys, the bladder, and that can affect so many more structures within that pelvic region. So really great workup. And I'm glad that they ended up doing the um, retrograde urethrogram. And then they found the, the urethra was actually damaged. Yeah, so- definitely. Because as you mentioned, if the urethra is damaged and a patient isn't able to void or urinate properly, that urine is going to back up and that genitourinary tract is going to back up. And like you said, we can now have potentially kidney injury. And that takes this trauma that is serious but not immediately life-threatening and turns it into a a much more serious and potentially life-threatening injury. Exactly. So what do they do about this now? So like Hillary said, getting the urethra fixed is probably their primary concern so that the patient can void properly, or they're going to fully cath the patient so they can at least void properly while they're healing. Wait, can you explain for our listeners what a fully cath is? So Great question. So by fully cath, what that is, is a tube inserted up the penis through the urethra all the way up to the bladder so that the individual can urinate even if there is damage present. Sounds uncomfortable. It really does. I don't want to have to deal with that. So penile fractures usually require surgery. This is where the surgeon will use stitches to close the tear in the tunica albuginea and the corpus cavernosum. The main goal is to restore or maintain ability to have erections and also preserve this urinary function. What is the prognosis here? So about 90% make a full recovery. However, as expected, there can be serious, well, 
most people would consider as serious side effects, such as erectile dysfunction, a painful erection, or permanent curvature of the penis. Oh, so a broken penis can lead to Peyronie's disease, like you were talking about earlier then. Exactly. And things might never be like they used to be, but that's okay. Well, lucky for Mr. Y, he was in the 90% category and he made a full recovery and did not suffer any additional injury after his fall. I'm so happy for him. Yes, very happy. (laughs) So now let's talk about a different way to break a penis. And there's even a medical term for it called a faux pas de coït. Wow, this episode is just full of French, isn't it? Yes, it really is. And as someone who lived in Montreal, Quebec for four years, would you care to share the English translation for us, please? It would be mon plaisir. So uh, faux pas de coït translates to a sex incident as there's no direct translation that's the best that we can do here a little sex mishap perhaps a faux pas it's an interesting divergence from the usual latin words that we've been talking about when we're naming things in medicine and it probably relates back to that idea again that these types of injuries are underreported because of this inherent shame about discussing our sexual organs. So we aren't even using those Latin terms anymore. Now we're using these like cute French colloquial terms as a medical term itself. I like the way you say it was cute because it kind of sounds cute and especially when Anglos say these French words, but yet it's like actually a disastrous incident you're so right (laughs) so as you can probably assume trauma to the penis leading to a fracture can happen during sexual intercourse when the penis slips out of whatever it happens to be in or penetrating and most commonly strikes the partner's pubic bone or perineum so we want to discuss a second case that illustrates the sex injury perfectly Patient Z is a 32-year-old male presenting to the emergency department two hours after having penile trauma during vigorous sexual intercourse. He was having sexual sexual intercourse in a woman-on-top position when he heard a snap sound followed by severe pain and immediate loss of the erection. During the patient's history, no previous sexual disorders were found, and he was overall very healthy. He denied the use of PDE5 inhibitors. Do you care to describe to us what the most common PDE5 inhibitor is? I would love to. And it is a great company that all of us have known to uh, be aware of quite recently called Pfizer. Their blue little pill known as Viagra. Oh, interesting. So Pfizer makes more than just vaccinations for COVID. Yes, there are more than a couple of ways to experience Pfizer's effects inside your body. (laughs) Okay, let's save this for a future episode, but I love it. We apologize. We have to make a few jokes here. (laughs) All pun intended. So on, on physical examination of patient Z, his penis was swollen, deformed, and with signs of ecchymosis. Ah, yes, which means you bring up another interesting topic, and this is a clinical sign that the doctors observed specifically in this patient. And the medical term is called an aubergine sign, also known as an eggplant deformity. Yes, you heard me right, an eggplant deformity. So this is a clinical sign of a fractured penis where hemorrhage or blood leaks out beyond that tunica albuginuia or that white coat that we've been talking about. 
and this produces swelling and bruising of the penis, stimulating the appearance of an aubergine, which is also known as an eggplant. <laughs> so I guess the eggplant emoji doesn't really communicate just a penis, but actually a broken penis. So is this going to change the meaning for anyone sexting these days? Who knows? Wow. So back to Mr. Zed. Two ventral irregularities were found during penile palpation, indicating potential damage of the tunica albuginea underneath. And if we remember back to the anatomy of the penis, this means that the urethra is also more likely to be damaged as the ventral side contains the corpus spongiosum. However, Mr. Z presented with no urethral bleeding or difficulties urinating, indicating that the urethra was probably uncompromised, intact, and not damaged. Hey, that's good news for Mr. Z. Yes, we love it for him. Just to be safe, blood work was ordered and all lab results were within normal limits. Based on Mr. Z's presentation, x-rays or a retrograde urethrogram were not ordered and the patient was discharged. Wow, this is really interesting. It's a good comparison. Because although Mr. Z suffered trauma to his penis, it was definitely not as significant as the first case we talked about with Mr. Y. And the doctors obviously weren't as worried about him breaking a pelvis from vigorous sexual intercourse, as opposed to the first patient who fell from a height onto a hard surface, right? Like that mechanism is just much more likely to cause additional injuries to the surrounding structures. Also, one other note, it's interesting that the first case, Mr. Y did not have an erection when he suffered trauma to his penis, of course, because he just fell out of the back of the truck. He was not engaging in sexual activity at the time, but the force and the trauma was so extreme. He still managed to break the penis, even though it was flaccid at the time. Whereas Mr. Z, the second case, he suffered a much less traumatic injury to the penis. It was during sexual intercourse. But because it was in an erect position when it occurred, it made the tunica albuginea much more vulnerable to breaking. Yeah, that's a really good comparison. And also important to note that it doesn't always have to be erect to break. No, but I imagine both are equally as tragic. And quite painful. So a great way to wrap up this episode is by talking about an interesting cultural consideration we found while researching that men in certain Middle Eastern cultures practice something called tacondin, a Kurdish word for to click or penile cracking. What? This involves grasping the shaft of the erect penis and bending the top until you hear an audible clicking sound. So men do this for a variety of reasons, such as deflating an unwanted erection, attempting to enlarge or straighten their penis, or out of habit, like cracking your knuckles. Okay, so I do not want to get bombarded by messages from men about their penis at all in relation to this show, Uh, but I do want to know if you practice Takandan. I'm very curious. I'm also curious. However, it is important to know that this does this practice does put you at a much greater risk for a fractured penis if you do it improperly. Wow. What's cracking? I'm dying to know. I also wonder if like this would be something that like medical professionals would do. Like you think about a chiropractor. Interesting. So let me know if it's a serv- if it's a service you offer in your medical practice. Yes, healthcare providers and patients alike, we want to know if you practice Takandan. Please write us in our show notes. We also have a website now where you can contact us there. 
We also have a Gmail, probably not lupus at gmail.com. Let us know if you practice this Middle Eastern practice called Takandan. Wow, we made it. That's episode three. We made it. Thank you so much for listening. Yeah, it's great to have everyone back for week three into our new and improved sound quality. Like I said, only up from here. Only up from here. (laughs) No pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. We had to make at least a couple jokes. Stay tuned for next week where we bring up a new topic of healthy at every size. I am so excited to talk about this one. Can't wait. See you all next Monday. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Don't forget to subscribe to our show on Spotify, Google, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram and YouTube at Probably Not Lupus. Probably Not Lupus is written, recorded, edited, and produced by us alone in our bedrooms. I love that. <laughs>